look, looky here. After a one-week hiatus, for good reason, he is ill. The great Mike Heike has returned to rinky-dinking. Did you think you were going to get Wally pipped? Did you listen to the to the podcast? Did. You did. I, yes, I loved the imitation. The uh, <laughs> Tom Holy is he's an entertaining man. Uh, I will say his voice is just as bad as mine. <laughs> wow, an immediate shot. I thought the boys filled in admir- admirably. I, t- I thought they were great. Uh, and Totsi always brings his level best every week. And for Tom Holy, it was a real coming out party for him. He. <laughs> He thought this was going to be an every week gig, and to, much to his chagrin, we're not even having Holy Puckaganda this week. <laughs> <laughs> he had his day in the sun. There you go. And then uh, his Browns make a big deal. It was just like Tom Holy week. It was Tom yeah. Holy week. It, we flew Everybody right over it. top of Cleveland, yep. as he talked about on that. I mean, it doesn't get much better than that. Do you remember when uh, Baker Mayfield crossed us on the runway that yes. one time? You're just like, like the world revolves around Tom Holy. Tom yeah. Holy. And he's Baker Mayfield goes, hey, you guys need a goalie? He'd be a goalie, <laughs> He too. would be a goalie. I know. He would. It'd probably be great. Well, at least he <laughs> stated he would be great. <laughs> anyway, I'm glad you're okay. Thank you. And uh, you look... Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. It's like those commercials. What, what Just is okay? <laughs> <laughs> what is not okay right now in Star's world is their home ice yeah. play for whatever reason, which is really odd because we've talked many times, even on this podcast this season, about what a great environment it is. They seem to feed off of that. They're trying to get their act together on the road, but you could always rely on the fact that they were going to win six of every seven of every 10 games at American Airlines Center. And over the last like 15 games, they're 500 at best. Yeah. And then they've won what, six out of seven on the road or something? Like yeah. That? Yeah. Yeah. It's, well, I mean, it's, it's weird. Yeah. It's a long season, but it is certainly decayed a little uh, at AAC. The same affliction that was doing them in on the road is kind of getting them at, on home ice, too. They, they need bigger nets. <laughs> Indeed. They can't quite score enough. But what I, uh, beyond what the stars are doing, uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about home ice advantage and whether that myth uh, of strictly uh, powerhouse teams winning the majority of their games is now toast or if it's still part of the world or what happened. Do you have any theories on... I think good teams are still good on home ice. See, that's my... Tampa Bay is really good on home ice. Well, Tampa Bay is 36-2 <laughs> and two yeah. in 38 home games this season. And I think when you go through the decades, even, yeah. and find the best teams, what you come away with... I mean, there was some stuff back in the 70s that I want to get into, but basically, if you're a quality team, you're going to win at home. Right. Uh, if you have really good players and you're well coached, coaches are going to use that as an advantage. The league in the game itself has tried to manufacture advantages for home teams. Right. Uh, there's no question they've they've done that. At the same time, they've pulled back a little bit on some of the pure advantages of teams. You know, short, smaller benches Correct. and uh, dressing rooms that were straight out of a mobile home and yeah if you go way back the rink size was well different. that's what i that's what i want to talk about so my if my math is right the, the three biggies that were actually smallies back in the day were boston garden the Auden buffalo and chicago stadium yeah. and as a guy who played in all of those places 
I understood. And then I also, when I was in the minors, I played at Bloom County Arena in Binghamton, which I believe was the smallest rink ever. Uh, Jason Spezza played there, too, oh, with, right. with the yeah. uh, Senators Farm team. But when I was with Hartford, I played there. And as a goaltender, you would think a smaller rink would just be a nightmare because they're on top. I loved it. I really did. Yeah. And I, I liked Boston Garden. I liked Chicago Stadium. No, it was nuts. But Boston Garden was nine feet shorter than a regular rink and two feet narrower than a regular NHL size rink is 200 by 85, right. 200 feet long, 85 feet wide, nine feet shorter. Did they take it out of the neutral zone? I, I think some of it was taken out of there. I just remember when Ray Bork would cross over center, it was just like, you were like, you could see the bloodshot in his eyes. If, if they were like, he yeah. was right there. And the odd in Buffalo, I believe was about the same. It was, I think it was four feet shorter and it might have been, still been 85 feet wide, yeah. but it was a shorter rink. And then the Chicago Stadium was 15 feet shorter. Oh, it, it was 185 feet long. And uh, it was the full 85 feet wide. It was right. 185 by 85. Man, the, the, the great thing about it was, like, stuff happened. Like, yeah. it, it happened in a hurry yep. in those buildings. And it was two steps out of the corner and they were on you. And as soon as they crossed over center ice, yeah. like it was pretty close to a scoring chance. Yeah, counterattacks were pretty quick. And it, yeah, and if it, it, it felt like uh, an advantage. Now, you know, Montreal at the Forum was regular size. Philadelphia at the Spectrum was regular size. And if you go back 1975-76, Philly was 36-2-2 two two on home ice. Now, that had nothing to do with the... <laughs> Size of the ring. Size of the ring. It had everything to do with individuals were just scared crapless to even touch the puck. Yeah. Broad street bullies. I mean, they they just scared people out of their own. They ran people out of their own ring. Yeah. And we used to have that, too. I think their person, home personality yes. was a big deal. Like, you know, the Boston fans wanted the – or the Philadelphia fans wanted the bullies. And, you know, Boston fans wanted their game. Uh, you know, Chicago, same thing. Yeah. Uh, so I think that fed whatever the uh, players were doing on the ice, too. Well, they were uh, they were way more physical. You had no choice but yeah. to be a physical team. So if they built their team to take advantage of just bang, bang, bang all over the place, then obviously at home uh, you were going to get the advantage. So th in, in 75-76, the top home ice records were Philadelphia with that one I said, Montreal, who just had staggeringly good teams, 32-3-5. I mean, they were just better than most. Boston, 27-5-8. And, and Buffalo, 28-7-5. Yeah. I think there were also teams were better at the top and worse at the bottom. And that probably fed into it, too. Well, you were, yeah, you, you were right after doubling up, right? Yeah. Uh, with expansion going from 6 to 12 teams. The following year, Montreal went 33-1-6. There were ties. They lost one game at the Forum in 76-77. And Philadelphia wasn't far behind, 33-6-1 at the Spectrum. The Bruins were 27-7-6 at the Garden. And Buffalo was 27-8-5 at the Odd. I love the Odd. I mean, they were just... They were... Could you imagine today's game in those small rinks, though? I think it'd be great. I do, too. 
Like, I miss Reunion Arena. Well, the Stars led the league twice at Reunion Arena. Uh, once at Reunion Arena and once at American Airlines Center in best home records. No surprise, the year they won the Cup, 98-99, they went 29-8-4 and at Reunion. Now, the advantage there was the I, the actual quality of the ice, <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, teams would come in. Every team came in and complained about the ice surface at Reunion Arena. Yep. And that became a very distinct home ice advantage. Yeah, mental. The, mental and the Stars team was kind of built that way. Yeah. That defense certainly was. But at the same time, the the sort of caveat in that way of thinking was you had two of the most uh, extremely skilled individuals of that era uh, that could skate like the wind and make plays like none others in Sergei Zubov and Mike Madonna. Yeah. They didn't seem to have that much of a problem on that ice surface. But they kind of got used to it. The Ludwigs and the Hatchers. And <laughs> I think the, the Ludwigs had trouble on every ice yeah. surface. <laughs> but it was an advantage. And then 0203 at American Airlines Center, the Stars went 28-5-6 and six wow. at home. Now, that would have been, uh, been the first year of Dave Tippett. Possibly, yeah. I think around then. Yeah. Turco was... The man, and obviously you get a guy at that position on home ice. You know, we're seeing that with Ben Bishop, yeah. I think, right now with the Stars. Last year, Winnipeg had the best home record in the NHL at 32-7-2, and which doesn't sh- surprise me. No. And again, it's a it's a smallish rink uh, as far as how it's built now. Right. The ice surface is 200 by 85, right. but it feels the like a- those fans are on, there, on yeah. top of you. And again, they had a, just a quality team. Uh, San Jose was the one that always blew me away through the years, even back to the reunion days. Like, for the most part, the Stars won there, and they were able to win in Dallas. Yeah. And there were some years in past where the Shark Tank, they would struggle to win on home ice. They'd come out flat in that. I never understood that. Especially with the energy in the building and everything like that. It's just, I don't know. I don't either. (laughs) But I do know that that the home ice advantage nowadays in the NHL just doesn't seem like what it once was. But I bet if you went through all the numbers, it's about the same. Yeah. Well, and the other thing I think you go back is I think the playoff home ice advantage is significantly lower. I think it might even be what, like 50, 50. Yeah. So like, I think with the stars, it might be best for them to start on the road. uh, Just so they, Hey, look, Mike, we just want the stars to start. We don't, (laughs) We don't really care whether it's home or road. Maybe some people do. Yeah. They, extra home date is a few more. That would be nice. Dollars in a pocket, but uh, I just, I, I, I wish, I wish we went the way that baseball did, where they went away from cookie cutter. Yep. And they put a little more character into their new ballparks, and I, I don't know that you could do it in our league. Maybe no, not now. You know what? You know what would be the best thing they could do in in the National Hockey League now would be to give the option of uh, building a rink within parameters. Like if you if you have a team that you'd like it a little wider and your building can accommodate it yep. and do like they've done, I think, in Finland where they've gone uh, 200 by 90, even just adding five yep. feet or something like that. Or if you want, make it a shorter rink and, and do things that way. Just, I don't know, make it just a little bit more interesting than – the regulation that's never ever going to happen no. though we're 200 by 85 forever 
All right. Uh, we solved nothing. I want to talk uh, <laughs> going forward. I want to talk about uh, morning skates, the bane of my existence. We'll do that right after a very brief musical interlude. Hit it, totes. All right, back here. Uh, we didn't really go anywhere on Rinky Dinking, but Mike Heike did go away. You missed some morning skates. Do you miss the morning skates when you miss the morning skates? They're due actually to helpful for me just because you can go get interviews, uh, work on feature stories. You, you are the reason for morning yes, skates now. Exactly. You really are. Yeah, the writers. I mean, I, I think the world would stop if all the so-called media members sitting in the stands couldn't tweet out what the lines they see on the ice are. It's part of the process. I think fans enjoy, like you'll, I cover baseball in the summertime, I used to, and they would just, as soon as that batting lineup uh, got tweeted out, people would just go crazy. And okay, just, but that's at what time of day? Four. Yeah, yeah. So th- this is what came to uh, mind when I, I saw yes- yesterday. I mean, the Stars have played a lot of hockey in a short period of time, yeah. right? So they played three and four nights, and then last night was four and six days in the sixth month of the season. Correct. You know, they play 15 games in 29 days in March. And I understand I understand how they go through this as coaching staffs and that. They give them a day off, and then they freak out, right? Yep. So they were exhausted. They gave what they could in that game against Vegas. We got in at about three four o'clock in the morning and you could tell and they mustered up what they could they could have won the game yeah right so then they give them the next day off they just played three games in four nights in three different cities so it's understandable yeah. there's no reason and again you're in march you've played yeah. 70 games so th- then they freak out it's a six o'clock game on sunday and they they all spaz and they're like well there's no way that we can just show up and play the game right and I immediately put my arm up, and I'm like, well, isn't there a thing called the warm-up before the game? Isn't that kind of what that is? Right. Much like your batting practice in baseball. Yes. So would it have been more beneficial to just say, We're, don't come in on Saturday. On Sunday, come in, and they've got all those back rooms, and they can dynamic warm-up and do everything else. Yep. And then you go out and you utilize your warm-up to get the yayas out, check skates, sticks, what have you. Yep drop the puck and play the game. And you've essentially had two days yes. to recharge your battery. Instead, they come in in the morning, and at 10 o'clock, they r- conduct a full-scale practice. And they go through drills, and they skate up and down and exhaust themselves in the morning. Yes. And then uh, go home. And I know they nap and all that other stuff, but it just seems to defeat the purpose of trying to conserve energy. Well, and it's funny because Jim Montgomery has said – there are great instances of players who are better when they've taken a game off or two games off or missed a practice or whatever. Uh, so you would think he would transfer that over and say, you know, maybe we need to skip a morning skate. Um, I believe there are coaches out there doing that. Uh, and so we'll see We'll see if uh, the Stars coach decides on that. Um, it's, it's all tradition right now, I think. Don't you? Like even the players, I, I don't think, know. like it. I don't know that it's as much tradition as it is just habit. Yeah. And out of habit, 
it gets perpetuated. And there is uh, responsibilities media-wise nowadays. Like a coach has to talk every day, which is nuts. And you have all these various outlets that need content to spew out. So if they they showed up an hour and 45 minutes before the game, what would we do for content all day? We'd have to talk to one another on podcasts and stuff like that. (laughs) But you're right. I mean, like there is stuff that's out there previewing the game that fans can read at noon. And so if it's, let's say, a Tuesday and you're at work, you're sitting down at your cubicle to get your lunch, you can go to DallasStars.com and read about tonight's game. And that is, I really do think now that we talk about it, that is the prime reason for the morning skate. I agree. Now, coaches, too, are, you know, the the more that you they've added coaches to the equation, you know, everybody wants to do something with their role. So right. there are more meetings and video and all these things that can eat up you know, 10 minutes here and five minutes right. there within the day. And you, I understand them all wanting to turn over every rock and cross every T and dot every I in preparation for the day. But man, it just, after a while, it seems overly enervating to conduct these things when you've got 15 games left in the season and it's been a drag and you've had tons of travel. And I feel for them because they coaches sit there and they watch that video after games and they can see their team game eroding because they haven't practiced. Right. And then they're like, well, we need to practice to get our systems back in place. Just need a little bit. At the same time, that's not going to matter if we don't have the legs to skate to be there. So we need time off in order to charge your, our batteries a little bit here. I believe they call that a catch-22 situation. Hmm. Joseph Heller. Now, I, I wish on the on those days, 6 o'clock game is a weird start Yeah, time. that one kind of blew me away. And, uh, you know, 5 o'clock they never morning no. skate. An hour later they seem to think that they can slide one in, for, and they need one for right. whatever reason. And Vancouver did it too. Right. After. Yes, so. I know. Now, I tend to think that you should have the option to elongate your warm-ups on those games. Yeah. And instead of having a 15-minute warm-up, you can have a 20-minute warm-up right. if you feel like you need it. But at the same time, I just don't understand why you have to have a morning skate if you're also going to have a warm-up. It'd be like baseball having a batting practice and then going home and then coming back and having a batting practice right. again before they play the game. And that would turn their, what is it, 164 games? Oh, yeah. I mean. <laughs> Wouldn't be good. Yes, exactly. And They, and they yet play we do every that. day, too, and, and they oftentimes lead the ballpark at midnight, so right. that would be hard. Now, basketball, I watch basketball. Those, those shoot-arounds. They do them in the mornings now. Yeah, but, I mean, it. they're not breaking no. a sweat out no. there. They are just shooting from various points and stretching. They, mostly stretching is yeah. what I see. Even when they go out for warm-up just before their games, I mean, they, they are not exhausting. It's not like they're running up and down the no. court, whereas we do. Yeah. I mean, guys guys are breaking a... Everything hockey does is done at full speed. So the question out there, and somebody's going to have the guts to do this at some point. Will it be you, Daryl? They're just going to say at this point of the no, you know who it'll be? It'll be John Tortorella. I know. <laughs> That's it. We're done. Somebody's just going to say done. We're going to show up. Now you have to have success, otherwise then you get questioned. Correct. 
and you're not doing ah, it's just it goes around and around and around like this well and and i agree with you just because they talk so much about saving energy saving energy saving energy and this is the most obvious way to save energy don't practice on the day you're going to play a game correct da i don't know i i'm it's the bane of my existence i know it I'm is not, well there's other ones too yeah that's true but this is <laughs> this is on the this is in my top 10 all right i like that uh, in my in my top number one of junior franchises is the great Kamloops Blazers, and there is something that's going to go on with my Kamloops Blazers tomorrow. We're doing this on a Monday that brings up the whole tiebreaker and points at the end of a season thing, even at the NHL level, and we're going to delve into that straight ahead. What are we done with? Totes with the Foo Fighters uh, lead-ins on this edition of Rinky Dinking. It's very special. Do we have to pay them? Is there a royalties thing? Just don't name drop them. <laughs> I think I just did that. Cut that out. Okay. Anyway. We, we cut a lot of stuff out, don't <laughs> yeah, we? Yeah, <laughs> we should cut most of most of our podcasts out. So here's here's the rundown. Just indulge me for a second. Yes. I'm, a, I'm a very proud former Kamloops Blazer. The owner of the Dallas Stars is also part owner of the Blazers. You know that Daryl Sador is back on the oh, bench in Kamloops. And I think a big reason why they charged late in the season. And, are uh, Doan and McGinley and all those still uh, in the ownership group? They too? are, yeah. yeah. Shane cool. Doan, Jerome McGinley, both had their jerseys retired in the last month. Yep. Uh, along with Daryl Sador and Mr. Tom Gallardi. So the final game of the regular season in the Western Hockey League didn't solve anything. And, of course, Dallas Stars draft pick, uh, the big low train, the J train plays for them, and we'll get to him in a second. Uh, as a result, the Kamloops Blazers will host the Kelowna Rockets, and we have a couple of those around here, too. Yes, we do. In one Jamie Ben and Blake Como's. Uh, Tuesday, they're going to play a sudden death play-in game with the winner making the playoffs and the loser booking tee times. Yikes. Kamloops and Kelowna were tied for third, and that's the final playoff spot in the BC division. Entering action on Saturday night, they each had 62 points. Uh, This is what you had to deal with, and they have to deal with nowadays in the Western Hockey League. I think this is a good example of uh, plotting through things. There's no morning skates going on with this. So Kamloops is coming off a 5-4 overtime loss to Prince George at home in Kamloops on Friday night. And then they traveled to PG for a game on Saturday. Wow. That's not two hours. No. Like, that's an eight-hour bus ride up there. And through the mountains and stuff, right? Well, a little bit. Not not so much that way as it is going down south. Anyway, they, they beat the Prince George Cougars. Uh, four to two. Uh, Mark Lamb, coach general manager of those PG Cougars. Uh, with less than three minutes uh, to go, uh, Connor Zary scored a shorthanded goal, and Jermaine Lowen added an empty net marker. 
Wow. Our own Dallas Stars draft pick. Great story. That got the win for the Blazers. In Kelowna, the Rockets and Vancouver Giants tied 2-2 in overtime. Uh, the score in OT, the Rockets do uh, get the win. Chance to play Camelot's in this uh, play-in. So it's one game for everything to play in. Now, this has been uh, bantied about, I think, in NHL circles a little bit, just so that people know that are uh, hanging on this information on our podcast. <laughs> in the NHL, the tiebreaker, the first tiebreaker is is rows, regulation and overtime wins. So non-shootout Correct. Uh, wins. Real wins. Yeah, and they actually debated this, I think, at the – general managers meetings whether to scrap overtime correct which i think they should i agree i mean three on three overtime is not really i agree yeah should be just regulation wins as the first tiebreaker second tiebreaker is the season series head-to-head and how that went and the third tiebreaker if they're still tied up is goal differential and then the fourth if by some miracle and it would have to be a miracle they're still tied I believe it would be a one-game play-in in the National Hockey League. Wow. I think. If not, it should be. It should be. So Arizona and Minnesota are separated by a single point in the Western Conference. Columbus and Montreal by three points on the bubble uh, in the East. So, I mean, they didn't bother with anything in the Western Hockey League other than you're tied with 62 points. You're right. playing each other to figure out who's going to play a playoff series. Do you like that better do. than in doing fact, this? Well, in, in fact, this is a hard one, but I know they've talked about it, is the ninth-place team gets to play the eighth-place team for a play-in. Yeah, and that's an expansion of the playoffs, playoffs, essentially. But it's just one game, right? Yeah. I think that's what they've talked about. Well, they I think they talked about one game, and I think it, they talked about maybe a, a best of three. Yeah. I, I mean... I'm fine with that. I, uh, Jim Lights is actually one of the... Uh, loudest voices involved in trying to expand the playoff picture, which I believe in. I mean, yeah. we're we're going with the same playoff uh, pool as was in place when there were 21 teams in the right. league. There are going to be 32 pretty soon. I don't understand the the hesitance to expand by even a team. I right. don't get that. Do you? I think it's uh, the time of trying to get all the playoff games played. Um, I actually think it'd be a good thing because one, when you end the regular season, you probably are a little bit sore, beat up, and if get a little bye. Yeah, I think you know having two teams duke it out for three games while you get to sit at home and you know mend your wounds. I just could I, make for better hockey. I like. The idea of a, of a play-in. Yeah. Again, I mean, I just I just told you, right now, with 10 games left in the season. Yeah. And one point separates 8 and 9 in the West. Correct. Three points separates 8 and 9 in the East. Yep. I mean, they're the same teams. Yeah. And, and there are and so how, many how clubs. how fired up is that game going to be with Kamloops oh. and Kelowna? It's going to be fantastic. Well, it's the major rivalry. Now, it's turned into a rivalry. It got uh, flipped to where Kelowna has had the upper hand in this and they've won championships back in my day we played them 16 times two years in a row and we annihilated Kelowna Jamie Ben wasn't pe- playing we went that. 15 and one and 15 and one <laughs> we went 30 and two in two seasons against Kelowna why'd you lose those two games at, it was at Christmas time and our best players were at the world junior okay. uh, training camp that's why 
So yeah, I mean it'll be it'll be phenomenal on on Tuesday. I might go online and capture that one. You should fly up there. I should. Wish him all the best in that one. <laughs> that is truly sudden death, and it's hosted by Kamloops at Sandman Center. So it's it's, it's a, a win deal. even if it's a loss Correct. for Tom Gallardi and the boys up there. And I just like to see as baseball has done, where they expanded to that yeah. wild card game. It's awesome to sit there and watch that. And the football did too, right? Yeah. And I think 32 teams, like you said, you need to expand it. Yes. I mean, it's completely different than it was 20 years ago. I, I don't understand what – maybe they're saving it for when Seattle comes in. Yeah. And they'll change it then. And there will be balanced divisions and everything else. But to look at it right now with 31 teams and 16 get – I mean, 16 get in. Yeah. It's tough to make yeah. the playoffs. And there's not enough separation. There was a time when there was a cliff between a playoff team and a non-playoff yeah. team, and that doesn't no, now, happen anymore. Now it's a point. And I think the the main point being from not only uh, Jim Lights here, but a lot of these southern teams and you know U.S.-based teams, but I think even Canadian yeah. teams now – is that when you're quote unquote a non-playoff team, that's how you get sort of uh, stamped. Yeah, you know whether you were 15 points out of a playoff spot or one, you're not a playoff team, Correct. and it affects a lot of things in the offseason. Yeah, your marketing and yeah. the other thing that's interesting is the last five games of the season. I mean, if you are out, you know, and and the last five games don't mean anything, it's it's kind of bad, but if you have a chance to go get in on that one, you know, playing game. Oh, I, I will say this: the in a lot of ways, it's it feels like the last seven days of the regular season in some races is a, a bit of a playoff. Yeah, but you're not you're, you're not, not playing someone that you're trying to get ahead of. Yeah, it's too bad you couldn't manufacture more of those head to heads. I I'm surprised they don't do more of that divisional backloading to the schedule yeah i agree with you i don't i really don't get that we do have minnesota on the last game yeah, that's of the season. true <laughs> so maybe, maybe they did they did better than we thought again. I, again I think they've done a better job of doing that this year than they have in the previous couple of years where you're sitting there and you're like like even last year playing la in the final game of the season out there yeah it, when it feels like it should be a divisional game your your last at least three of your last four games should be divisional games i agree that's that's what I would like to yeah. see. So doesn't seem that difficult. No, I got I can a fix, lot of your stuff. I can fix all this stuff. I tried to fix one thing on the fly last night during the game. Another bugaboo of the Razor Boy. Now you understand we've talked about the Jennings and what a colossal mess that thing is. Is that the bane of your existence? It's pretty close right now. <laughs> How you can include empty net goals and charge them against goaltenders who've been pulled to sit on the bench for a player is asinine, right? Yes. So my big one, because uh, Elias Pettersson, a uh, fine young frosh from the Vancouver Canucks, uh, is co was co-leading the NHL in shooting percentage. How they tabulate shooting percentage is moronic. Yeah, I've told you that. Yes. There's no missed shots. No. <laughs> so basically it's your shooting percentage on shots that hit the net. Right. But not all the shots that you take. Correct. So last night, he had a couple of times where he wired it over top of the net. Same with Brock Besser. Right. And you're like, 
Okay, well, that doesn't even count against yeah, his shooting percentage. 19.2. So if you, if you went to basketball, a guy's shooting percentage, well, if it doesn't touch the rim, if, if it's an air ball, do they just not count yeah, that? Why would you? No. You should just take that out of it. That's not part of it. The NHL, Come on! The NHL is very <laughs> frustrating sometimes. Well, they toss out all these you know, newfangled stats and look at how deep this is now. and that, But they, they don't fix the stuff that is so easily fixable Correct. right in front right of their now, face. Right now, I mean, they keep all those stats. Yes. Just put in the computer, put in the program, miss shots, shots on goal. Like, it's not – here are all that individual shots. Missed shots, shots that were blocked, shots on net. Yeah. Now, you you tabulate all those together, and then you work it against the number of those shots that actually sailed the past goal. the goaltender. And you would have the individual's proper shooting percentage. There you go. Ta-da! Totes, aren't you uh, excited that you get to be exposed to this kind of knowledge? We got a big week ahead. Yes, we do. Mike Heike, and it starts. It's an odd. It's an odd looking schedule. Not, is it not? Not, not the division centric. No, this this backs it up. <laughs> so here we are with just three weeks left in the regular season, and they're going to play Florida, Colorado there divisional game again at home, and then the Pittsburgh Penguins show up. Sans Evgeny Malkin, who's out week to week. And then they go on uh, that very interesting Western Canadian swing at this time of year with Winnipeg, Calgary, Edmonton, and Vancouver. And we'll be coming at all of you from Western Canada. And just a little teaser for next week's Rinky Dinking. We're going to delve into a little bit of the drafting of the Dallas Stars through the years. And you wanted to talk about uh, something from Western Canada that's very near and dear to your heart, did you not? I think so. What was it? I don't know. We'll find out next week. That's how you tease it. Oh, it's, I'm Na, na, na. That's it. Two more rinky-dinkings uh, to come before the, uh, hopefully, before the playoffs. And I think we'll hit pause on the podcast come playoff time because we'll be all in. We'll talk to you next week from Western Canada.